so today's podcast, we're talking to Michael Robinson of Eastwood Guitars, and uh, we're going to ask him some questions and talk about this brand, especially because I can say this only about a few companies out there. This is probably one of the most unique brands in how it works, how how you guys kind of put or how you put breath into it. Um, so it'll be, I think it'll be very exciting. And uh, I want to thank him for coming on and, uh, and answering some questions. Yeah. So, so let's get started because we're going to assume that some people may not know what Eastwood Guitars is. And so could you explain, uh, how did you, how did you come up with the idea of doing like tribute guitars? How did this concept start? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'll try to get the short version, but basically like all of us, I'm, I was another guitar nerd in my teenage years, uh, record collector, just music fanatic. And, and, and like I heard on your interview the other day, um, with Jack from PRS, you got, I also, I too had a Sears guitar, you know, that my parents got me and my brother having or a hand me down from my older brother and they were horrible and hard to play, but I just loved it. So, um, as the years went by, I was one of the few people that didn't kind of um, go down the Fender Gibson path. I was always more intrigued by the really horrible um, Sears Japanese imports. And of course this was in the late sixties um, and they were and into the seventies, but just the bright colors, lots of knobs, that kind of thing. Just, it just always caught my attention. And so as I kind of went through life, I, I started collecting lots and lots of these things just to, just to humor myself. And, and by the kind of late 90s or so, I, I don't want to go through my whole history, but there was an opportunity to kind of switch gears in terms of the, the industry I was in. Right. And I thought I could, I could build a business out of making replicas of these weird guitars, and I think there's a market for it. And um, I was in the high-tech world. I was living in California at the time. I'd been there for 10 years. Grew up in Canada, where I am now. But that was kind of the catalyst for my interest in it. And, and uh, at that, kind of right at that crossroads, eBay started. It would, would have been early 90s, but mid-90s. But I'm, I'm sure most people listening to this weren't buying and selling guitars on eBay in 1996. Um, yeah. I was. <laughs> I was. I was going to pawn shops on weekends, because back then there were still lots of guitars in pawn shops because nobody was selling them on eBay. And I would find old airline guitars, Harmony guitars, Supro, all of that kind of weird thing that I, that I, uh, that kind of turned my crank. And I would, I would buy them for, you know, typically under $200, um, bring them home, shine them up, buff them up, take photographs and put them up on eBay and, uh, sell them for twice as much as I paid for them. Just, just to humor myself as a as purely a hobby. Um, and that was probably 1995 through 97, 97. I started a website again, that's probably before anybody was doing that, but I started one called my rare guitars, which is still alive today. And I think a lot of people are aware of that site, but, um, back then it was kind of just like a blog where you could ramble on about your passion for weird guitars, um, and buy and sell and trade. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. And I, you know, it, it didn't actually start the company importing guitars from uh, overseas until 2002, 2001, 2000. It was a 2002 NAMM show that I first started. 
So the sort of the decade prior to that, I was just kind of buying and selling and goofing around with lots and lots of weird guitars, all of which would become subject matter for later replications and tributes. Well, you know, it's funny because how I found you guys, the first time I ever heard of you guys was um, I had, you know, I had a retail store for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And one day we took a Charvel Surfcaster in on trade. Yeah. And uh, so this is like 2004, 2005. So this is the beginning of now you're looking up online to see what stuff goes for, not looking in the blue books anymore. Right. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, just so happens, as it sometimes does, uh, you know, I was like, man, that was a cool guitar, but, you know, I don't know what they're going for. You couldn't find one. You know, I didn't find one. So I think we gave the guy like 300 bucks for it. And I was really like nervous. Like, I think I'm giving him too much for his guitar. And, uh, you know, he, we did the trade. He leaves. And, you know, you have pond clearance. Things have to sit for two weeks for it to clear pond clearance. Yeah. And sitting during pond clearance, and that gives you more time to, you know, because the, in the moment sure. when you're training with cut, you know, you got to do it on the spot, right? But, yeah, obviously, with two weeks now to investigate, I'm like, these things are going for $1,500, $1,200. And, uh, and here's why the story connects to you guys. I remember, because uh, I'm, uh, I'm in Arizona. We were talking earlier. I'm in Arizona. Up the road from me, 35 minutes from me, is Spender. Yeah. And and Charvel Jackson, because that's where it's at. And I happen to know Matt and those guys, the product managers. And I told them, I said, dude, this is this is like early, you know, mid 2000s. Right. I said, these things are going for crazy money. You should bring these back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I told them the story. I said, I just bought one 300 bucks and flipped it for fourteen hundred dollars. You know what I mean? And it sold in a second at fourteen hundred bucks. In fact, I was like under, you know, maybe undersold a little bit. They, no interest flatline yeah. you know what i mean they're still reissuing the 80s ones you know the pointy ones and i said man you know when you have a guitar that's going for that kind of demand you know maybe you should think about revisiting it yeah and then i can't remember how long the time went by but then one day i saw one and it it was an eastwood guitar yeah and i was like oh my god that's there that's so smart <laughs> so smart yeah. and uh and funnily enough, funnily enough, we just what, – what's the day today? What is it? Wednesday? Friday, last Friday, we received our first shipment of Surfcaster Double Necks, which we made, which is insane, oh. which is a 6 and a 12. And we kind of oh. pre-sold all those things on, on our uh, – we used to have a thing called Eastwood Custom Shop, and it's kind of involved into, into the website now where, you can, where people can go online and say, I'll give you a $200 deposit now if you guys go ahead and make that double neck. And then six months later, we make the double neck, and that's, that's a, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, but I, I'm, and I'm saying that's that's another whole thing we could talk about. But it's interesting that the Surfcaster, because it, it's one of those ones that's just far enough under the radar that a larger company like Fender just, it's it's just too, it's just not a big enough prize to do it, and that's kind of where we fit right into that, right into that slot perfectly. And what's great is that what you just said that segues us into the next topic or next su uh, subject to talk about, which is that's one of the unique things as well as how you guys are making the guitars or how right. the, the this essentially a Kickstarter kind of concept, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, could you explain that? Because that's definitely unique. Yeah. So um, that concept came up. We started doing it about six years ago when Kickstarter first started and they wanted us to use their platform which I, I looked into that and I thought, well, that's kind of crazy because if unless you're doing like a, 
you know, a, a, a beer cooler with a stereo Bluetooth built into it. There's an audience for that on Kickstarter, but guitars, I mean, we already had our own audience. We've got like 150,000 people following us, so we don't need Kickstarter. So why don't we just create our own Kickstarter and, and put an idea up there, in this case, a double neck surfcaster, and see who's interested. And we just email and social and tell everybody that it's coming if you're interested. And we say, you know, we need to get at least 24 people uh, to put a deposit in. Once we hit that number, we'll then go to production. Um, and then typically three to four months later, the production will be complete. And we use like Mirror World, World Music over in Korea. Do you know those guys? Yep. Um, and, and then the guitars arrive and then the customer pays the balance between the deposit and the final retail and the guitar is theirs. And the, the, the reason we do it that way is because if we only come up with five people that are interested, after a month or two, we just say, sorry, guys, here's your money back. We're not going to make that guitar. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be left holding the bag with a whole bunch of double nicks that nobody wants. So it it's good for us and good for the customers because the customers, it's no risk for either of us and no risk for the factory. Nobody's really making any kind of commitment other than a small deposit. And it's usually like 150 or 200 bucks, which itself is fully refundable. So it just, it really works well for everybody to try to explore these quirky things um, and see if they're worth redoing. And some of them end up being like huge um, success stories and others are massive flops, <laughs> but the flop just kind of goes away and it's forgotten about and, the success story becomes part of our future lineup. Well, once one thing that I find a lot of guitar players, guitar players uh, have trouble sometimes in this industry, understanding the industry that they actually live in yeah. And, yeah. and how small this industry is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And one of the things that I think they always lose connection with. So I, I just want to point out when you're talking about a run of 24 pieces, that's a custom shop run. That that's is very, very small, very small. I yeah. mean, like I always tell people when I see a run like that, or even double that 50 pieces, a hundred pieces, heck yeah. 200 pieces. When you see 200 pieces, I think sometimes guitar players still don't comprehend that is custom because the odds of you bumping into another guitar player with that same guitar, yeah. even in this small community is almost, you know, it's not likely at all. And so that's, like I said, they don't, I want the audience to truly understand when you're talking about those run sizes. Yeah. Um, putting a small deposit and having the ability to get essentially a custom guitar. There's no other way to do it. The way you're doing it, this is yeah. the only way this is possible. At, at this price anyone. point, for sure. I yeah. mean, yeah, yes. for under 2000 bucks or something, they are custom guitars if there's only 24 of them. They're all, they're all custom if there's less than 200 of them. But, um, you know, anybody could go get a guitar built for them if they want to spend ten to $15,000. Right. That's your custom guitar there, and it would probably be made in the U.S., and but these things are, I mean, the quality um, of, well, and you've talked in your show a number of times about world music in Korea and, yeah. and Mir, yeah, who does, yeah. um, um, you know, Reverend and Duesenberg and other brands like that. The quality is fantastic. And the price point is is quite good, like in that kind of 900 to 1500 retail is, uh, and you get a great instrument for that price. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think Mir and World are essentially that high-end, uh, you know, Team J Craft style yeah. of builders that we we have now. Revere, you know what I mean? Twenty years back, thirty years back, revering is great. Um, 
I did a, a early on, like early on in my channel when I first started, I made a video that now is at that time was controversial for me. And now I think everybody's on the same page. So now no one, when they watch that old video, don't see it strange. I made this statement that a $700 main Korea guitar far superior in quality and price to what J Japan was offering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now everybody doesn't think that statement's so outrageous, but four or five years ago, you sure, know what I mean? We got, <laughs> we got some hate mail of that one. <laughs> yeah. But um, so yeah, the fact that you use Mir is again really impressive because they they only do what's great about those factories. The and, and I just use those two as a pretty because everybody kind of knows those two. Yeah. Those factories. Uh, what I appreciate about them is they stopped doing student grade instruments. They, they, they haven't yeah. done that level of stuff in years and years and years. Yeah. So you're talking about a factory that only does, in my opinion, pro level instruments. Yeah. And, and so what's great is you don't have to worry about one of the workers being sick. And now you have the worker that works on the student grade instruments, finishing your pro level instrument that day, you know, cause that's how factories work, you know, employees yeah. move around. You have a consistent quality team that knows how to build a particular type of instrument. That's why I think they master it. Yeah. I mean, it's that, that was an eye-opener for me when I finally got over there. Went to China, Korea, Japan, Indonesia, and went and toured the, the factories. And I just, my, my fondest memories was in Korea, just the quality of everything about it, the building, the people, the equipment, the cleanliness, the, the paint rooms, the assembly lines, and everything were just, as good, or if not better, than most American factories. I don't know. So I'll say that, and I'll, now I'll get some hate mail. But you see the guitars coming off the line, and they're the people. I, I, I distinctly remember one of the guys at Mir who worked in the paint booth, and he'd been doing it for a couple of decades. Like he's really, really good at, at what he does. As opposed to when you go to China, and, and, th and this is still a, an issue in China, they, the staff turns over. Yep. every year and so you get a new painter who needs to be retrained so if you're getting your guitars made in china in april they might be way better than the ones that are made in november because it's a brand new staff and they haven't been properly retrained and so you know that's where but they're all the same cnc machines they're all the same equipment and whatnot it's just the training of the people and that's the difference at, at mir and world music there they really know what they're doing like like the japanese factories back in the uh 80s and 90s i mean the, the quality is spectacular yes it is it is um that is actually perfectly said it's still going to be people the machines definitely make the process more consistent and better yeah. but skilled workers are the key and yeah. funny funny observation is sometimes when you guys are making ones i've played these some of the ones that are supposed to be the cheap you know creation guitars sometimes they're too nice <laughs> which is great in fact in fact i was uh to prepare for this interview i was on of course you know you go on the forums and i start, started reading as much as i could right yeah. and there was this weird undertone comment that found found its way talking about eastwoods in many different streams and not the comment i was expecting to see and it was there was a lot of players talking about the fact that they love these old guitars but they were essentially unplayable even back in the day yeah and so they become wall art and now that you guys, when you guys do some tributes to those guitars, they look right, but they actually played nice and, and you can play them now. Yeah. That's, an <laughs> and, that, that's kind of one of the, the core things at Eastwood that everybody who works for Eastwood, no matter where they are in the world, 
they all feel the same thing. They all have a true passion for those weird, quirky, but but they do not want something that plays like that. It's got to be, I got to be able to get up on stage this weekend and play with this guitar and it's got to be dependable. Everything's got to be good about it. Um, and that's, it's, it's uh, I guess, just with components and production and manufacturing, it, it makes our job a lot easier than it probably was back in the 60s to try to create a good guitar offshore would have been complicated because a lot of the people working on it wouldn't know what a good guitar is. So it's, right. it's a, it's a QA thing. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the, well, all the companies, like, like you said earlier with, with, with the PRS, I mean, they've, they make them in North America, they make them offshore, they make them in, in Korea, Indonesia. So there's different levels all the way along, but they all gotta be playable now because it's the brand. Right. You know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that the brand is out there and the people, we still we still struggle with that a little bit because when somebody sees an Eastwood without touching it, there's an immediate assumption that look at that quirky thing. It can't be. It can't play good. I mean, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's and, that's, that, and yeah. That's what we have to overcome all the time. And the, the the easiest way to do that is just keep selling guitars and taking care of your customers, and people get online and talk about it. So it's uh, it's been a fun fun journey. Yeah, and that's kind of that point is. You know, some of the guitars you guys have tributed, you know, some of them have, you know, action <laughs> that you could stick a, your knuckle into, yeah. you know what I mean? And and then and, and so when you pick up the, East, the Eastwood guitar and it looks that way, but it plays nice, it's kind yeah. of a funny, funny feeling. And that's the other part of this question that I had for you was, is there any guitars, you know, that you can think of that when you were kind of recreating that gym, did you have to... Like, okay, we have to fix this. Do you have to fix some issues with those guitars when you do? You yeah. know what I mean? Cause like, I know some of them have bad truss rods, to, you know, by design. They didn't even have truss rods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a good example of that would have been like one of our flagship guitars is the airline, the Jack White airline, white stripes model, <clears throat> Jetson's model, some people call it. But the originals didn't have a truss rod. Um, they, they were uh, made out of fiberglass, resoglass. Two, two shells essentially sandwiched together with a rubber binding that stuck the two shells together. And then the neck would mount to a, like a two by four that was inside the body. The end result of it is you, you, know, you can find, I, you could give me a hundred and you can't find a hundred of them. But if you found 20 of them from the sixties, every one of them will have a neck that kind of goes like that. That's just the nature of it. Um, so you can only play up until the seventh fret and then everything would fret out. Um, there, there was just no way to adjust the guitar and make it playable. So they ended up being slide guitars for J.B. Hutto and people like that, because, and they had a great hollow sound to them. But uh, so we had to completely rethink that guitar altogether, and we made it out of mahogany, but like you would, you take the back and completely hollow the whole thing out, make a, a top for it, proper neck, pro neck joint just like a fender neck joint, proper truss rod and everything else. And then the other thing, I don't I don't think I have one of the originals here. If I did, it would be kind of neat, but they, they had weird mounting rings and they had to mount the pickups really high because that was the neck joint. So we just made everything modern. So that if you're standing 20 feet away and you say 20 feet away and you see the original and ours, it's hard to tell the difference. But when you walk up and pick it up, you go, oh, okay, this thing plays like a modern guitar. This other one doesn't. So... That, that th those are lots of little, almost every model you have to make those types of changes to. 
for for the betterment of the playability of the guitar. Oh, you there? Yep. Oh, you You're there? Welcome. I'm here. Hello? Yeah, hang on a minute. Is it me or you? Hold on a second. Let me just close a couple of uh, thousands of windows I have open here. <laughs> just in case. Did you lose a, a bunch of that? or No, no, just the tail end, and it's, okay. it's yeah, it's fine. Stuff like that. It's, it's easy to fix. Um, so, so that just, oh. just, a, just some more on that subject matter too. The yeah. other thing that, that people always ask is like, wow, how can you do all these? Like, aren't there trademark issues? And there's all that's whole can of worms that, that after doing this for, I mean, we're kind of, this is our 20th anniversary next year. Um, we've been doing this a long time and we know our way around all of those issues. And all, all it really means is, you know, of the, there's a lot of guitars we just cannot cannot ever replicate, but the the ones that we could build whole families out of, like Airline, we now own the Airline brand. We own a lot of our own brands, which are kind of under the Eastwood umbrella. Um, that once you find two or three that kind of fit that mold, we can we could resurrect the entire brand from the '60s, or or create new ones that fit into the into the into the picture. And, and that's, I'm glad you said that because that's another thing that's interesting. I've had this discussion many times on, on a podcast about the difference between a replica or tribute yeah. and a copy. Yeah. And, and my, my thing has been, um, this is the way I look at things. Uh, I drive on the road. Every pickup truck now looks the same, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so to me, that's, there's nothing, it's business. You make what customers want. Everybody, after a while, the customer says, this is what I want a pickup truck to do. So every yeah. manufacturer slowly starts making their version of what that customer wants. And yeah, it starts looking a little alike. And the, what I, what I, how I look at that is making all the trucks the same is not wrong. But of course, if they were to start copying each other's logos and trying to make confuse people, and that's like when we look at AliExpress and those places where they're flat out sticking logos you know what i mean trademark infringements and and the reason i i i have a i well pisses me off is because the intent of that in most cases is to con, con the consumer to yes. trick them into thinking they're they're buying something they're not yes yeah. to me and that's why it's great that you said that because a tribute or a replica guitar is specifically designed to give a customer something they can't get or readily get but it lets them know because like i said you use your headstock you're, you know, you, you. It's obviously very clear to the consumer that yes. they're not buying a Charvel or another brand, right? Um, and so that's. Uh, so I thought I'd just want to add, tag on to what you were saying about that. Uh, and that's an important thing to, for everybody to understand that the, the trademark trademark law is a, is is pretty cr crystal clear to to protect um, the business that that trademark is is uh, is uh, designed against and and to stop other people from being tempted to, to replicate it. That's why it, that's why we generally use terms like um, tribute to, or because we're not trying to replicate the guitar, right. uh, especially ones that are still available. Like some of the high end, uh, there's some real high end stuff out there that, that generally people can't afford. Well, here, a good, a, well, no, this is a different segue. We'll cut that and we'll come back to it. But I did want to talk about Dennis Fano and Revolta guitars too. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that for sure. Sorry too. Well, you know, a good example for me for this would be this. Uh, this came up recently, just a couple podcasts ago. Languid Duck. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And yeah. I that it was a question presented to me, and I made the comment that I've worked on many uh, copies or tributes to Lingua Ducks over the years, you know, through the shop repairing and stuff, because sure. there's a lot of guys out there, and this is what I'm uh, just reiterating what I said, uh, there's a lot of guys out there that take a whack at that yeah. <laughs> and making that guitar, because no one's going to buy the $10,000, $15,000 one, if you can even get one, right? right? Um, and uh, so in that situation, there has to be some kind of tribute model out there for the average player to get their hands on. You know, what I, mean? I didn't even know until recently when I was on your website that you had a version of the Languedoc. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and um, and priced really, really well. I think it was an eleven hundred dollar range. Yeah, I think there. that was four, fourteen seventy nine, something like that. Yeah. Which, but it's a spectacular guitar. Oh, and and and. And I'm telling you, with no exaggeration, I have worked on $2,500 priced replicas that I spent hours just getting them playable because yeah. some guy in his garage in Nova Scotia is, is making a couple, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and guys that are really, I shouldn't say guys, but guitar players that are really into that guitar will are crazy enough because I've seen them do it two, three, four times by four different versions yeah. of that guitar in that price range, two, $3,000. To try to get, you know, it's yeah. not like, because the sad thing is, it's not as easy as like Eddie Van Halen, where there's so many versions of that guitar that you can readily get anywhere. You know what I mean? If you want an Eddie Van Halen style guitar, yeah. you pick a pick a music store and walk towards it, you're going to find one. The Languedoc is a definitely perfect example of yeah, a guitar that gets a great tribute. And we made that one in uh, at World Music, and they did a spectacular job. And just like, just two different finishes, but the little attention to detail, when people got it, People who had been kind of pining for a ten thousand dollar one, we really scratched the itch with for fifteen hundred bucks. People think like this is this is great. I can't wait for the next one. And they, it's just they'll never get the ten thousand dollar one. No, but, no. You know th those who can afford it would, but those who can't are happy with with our version of it. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so I mean, and that and like I said, that's why I think that's a perfect model to explain the tribute concept. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, uh, because it's, and that's why it's rare. Cause like I said, if you're into the, like you said, fenders and Gibsons, if you're into mainstream guitars, a yeah. lot of what you guys do doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, they're like, well, why, when you just buy the original, you're like, you can't find it. Yeah. Or you if can't you can't afford it. One <laughs> or the other. Yes. One or the other. So Here, just, just for a giggle, here's another one. I've got, I have all my original prototypes too, but just, just to kind of, like you can look at that, everybody knows what that is. Yes. But when you show them the headstock, you go, Oh, wait a minute. It's <laughs> decent. And this was only one of a kind. So when, when we did this one, um, I mean this is just too too much like the Gretsch. So we ended up cutting this whole thing around like this. Right. Just just to make sure there was no confusion as to as to what it is. But there, anyway, I think we got rid of the I think we got rid of this raised black pick guard too, but at any rate, there's there's an example of uh, of ones we kind of wander down that road and, and scratch that itch for some, certain people. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you find that, have you had experiences where you've made a guitar and then uh, because of that excitement that you generated now, the, the original company is like, Hey, we're going to get back into that again. Um, no, I, I would, I would say, a cease and desist letter comes long before that. If we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. So no, 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 not, not shouldn't be doing, it, you know, has, 
Again, because think about this. You're, you're sometimes, you're not just creating guitars. You're actually creating market research. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, we're, certainly, you, we're certainly helping to rejuvenate some things that have been long forgotten. That's probably a better way of putting it. It's, it's, uh, and, and it, and it just does it for that, um, that market of people that understand what it is that we're doing and, and, and they, they get on it right away because they, they understand the value that they're going to get, um, from whatever it is that we're developing. Yeah. Because, yeah. because, um, <laughs> you know, I just use Fender cause again, I had a lot of experience talking to those guys. Fender's so big that part of the problem with being so big is it's hard for them to get excited about a small project. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it not even financially makes sense of it. They just can't even get, you know, uh, you know, excitement behind it. Yeah. So what's interesting is, is that's what I was saying. Sometimes they don't want to take the chance to run a 25 piece run or right. a 50 piece run to see if people like it. You know what I mean? It's not even worth their time. Oh. Um, the, uh, in fact, one of my, uh, to, to kind of illustrate to the viewers, um, my, uh, uh, a buddy of mine, his name's uh, Jay Piccarello. He was the head of the base, the uh, base. Uh, he was the product manager for the Fender base. And he said this to staying to me and I thought it was great. I was, uh, I was asked him once, why can't Fender get five string basses right? I said, music man gets it right. Everybody gets it right. You guys own the bass market. Why can't you get them right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I was waiting for the, all right, you know, what's he going to do with, and he said, he looked at me, he goes, I know he goes, but here's my problem. He goes, Fender is the biggest bass company in the world, but it's so small compared to the guitar side. It's hard for my boss to get excited about it. I, I can understand that answer. Yeah, I could too. And I like it because for no reason to illustrate a point again about why what you're doing is so interesting because you are focusing on a market, essentially, like you said earlier, a lot of companies are just not interested in. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with this, even though we know as passionate guitar players, some of the guitars, I guarantee you, anyone watching this right now are, and listening, if you go on his website and you look at those guitars, I guarantee you one guitar that will give you a flashback to your childhood, one guitar that will blow you away that you've never seen before, and yeah. you'll just scratch your head at it, and one guitar that <laughs> you didn't think you needed until you saw it. Yeah. <laughs> that about sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess the... The, the interesting thing for me now that we're coming up on 20 years is that um, what, what I would think Fender's going to look at it and go like 24 pieces. What's there's no, but we've got probably close to 250 different models now and Fender does too, but they're kind of spread out over a Strat and a Tele and a, and a P base. They've got, so you know what you're getting with Fender. It's a Strat, but there's 400 varieties of a Strat. We have to have, you know, 250 varieties of 250 completely different things almost. That's why it's it's kind of like, what? But the way the reason it works, because it's a completely international business. And we've got distribution over in, in Liverpool, UK, Nashville, Chicago. We've got some stuff up here in Canada. And we've we we cover there there's um the best way to put that is back from the My Rare Guitar days, um you eventually Worldwide, once people can get online and find like-minded people who like weird, quirky guitars, it that in itself is a pretty big market. It's right. just spread out across the world. So, you know, we we do only probably three percent of our revenue in Canada, and probably you know twenty five, thirty percent over in Europe, and forty percent U.S. and elsewhere. But it's it's 
it's spread out, but all of the people who know who we are, they they communicate and they don't buy just one. People who know what we do buy a lot of our stuff. It's kind of that's 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 why the business works so well. And then on that note, because you were talking about uh, when you do these, when we were talking about earlier about Kickstarter type ones, there is this thing. I think I understand this correctly. There's a thing where people can present ideas to you as well, so they can send you a, a an idea and yep. maybe get get if it gets enough momentum, it can come to fruition. Uh, I bet you, eighty five percent of the guitars we end up doing are suggestions from customers. People said, "Hey, you know that? What about that old? Um, just look at." Your, I can see your guitars in behind you. All my guitars are mostly up that way. So I'm just looking around to see here's a good example. But yeah, people come to us and make recommendations. Say, hey, have you ever thought about doing the such and such? You know, the downside is nine times out of ten, there's way too many trademark issues. We can't even go down that road. But people are asking us to do Rickenbacker all day long. We just, you just yeah. can't. Yeah. But, um, you know, certain things you can do. And, and, and uh, if we feel there's a big enough market for it, you throw it up. As our customers suggested, put it up on the on the uh, custom shop site, and people bid on it and go from there. So it uh, it that works well. And there's a lot of which is another whole subject. But just briefly, the one of the other other advantages because of the way we operate our business, eighty percent of our revenue is direct to consumer. So whereas Fender um, isn't talking directly to their end user, we are constantly talking directly to our end user, and therefore it's really easy to get all of us. Say hey, I suggest you do the the old Yamaha SG one one thousand that John McGeoch from Magazine used to play back in the uh, late seventies, and like within six months we can have that thing ready to ship. See, that's crazy. It's it's an impressive. That's I said. It's an impressive business model because I was even looking. I, I not that I thought there was like it out there. I even looked, like I said, since we knew we were going to be talking today to see like who's out there, kind of. And you know what I, I, what I saw, and I always kind of reserve uh, this statement, but I saw a little bit of half-assedness out there. People trying to do a a very, you know, like, hey, are you interested in doing one of these three guitars? And yeah. the, you know what I mean? Very, very. I don't want to say facade, but almost like giving the person an illusion of being part of the process, but really all they got to choose was the color. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, we're gonna make this guitar. What color of these three colors? Do you want, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's truly a unique situation the way you guys are essentially, um, I don't know how to call it, I don't want to call it custom or semi-custom. It's, um, what do you call it? Community built, right? Yes. Yeah. It's essentially allowing, it perfectly, I mean, we're kind of going back to what you said earlier, but you're allowing a bunch of people to come into a community and say, okay, what else can we create? Yeah. You're basically giving them the tools. And then once people understand how simple the business runs, you can, you can, you can pull it off and then they become a longer term customer and people see what they're doing. And, and it, it, the marketing part of it is easy that way because there's a lot of word of mouth and a lot of people kind of sharing their experience with what it is that they bought and what, that was only 1200 bucks, you know, those types of things. Right. Which, uh, yeah, I, I, which we can segue into this, but now that I'm thinking about it, what happened as a result of that type of um, growing of the business? We started. I started communicating with people like John Backlund, Jeff Sen, Dennis Fano, and a lot of um, North American builders or people in the guitar industry that 
Um, Dennis is probably the best example because he's fairly well known for um, Fano guitars and Novo guitars now, which is out of Nashville. But I was, I think it was four, maybe four or five years ago, we just got on the phone and said, hey, you know, Dennis, what do you think about making some guitars designed by you over in Korea at Mir? And he's like, no, no, I make, you know, these are handmade in North America, but I said, I'll take care of the manufacturing, distribution, sales, marketing, everything other than just the design. Um, and we struck up an arrangement, and, and the, the, the result of that is Revolta Guitars, which has become probably our top-selling brand now. But everything's designed by Dennis. We handle everything else. But then we, the guitars come back to Nashville from Korea, and all the met setup distribution and everything is handled out of our Nashville facility, which is shared with Dennis's actual factory for Novo. So it's, so, it's a great relationship. So the two questions I have to follow up on that is one, where does the name come from? Revolta? Yeah. That's Dennis's every, everything about the design is Dennis, the naming convention. He's got, he's got some Italian heritage in his name. And so all of these are, um, all of these, the brand names, the model names are all um, Italian based, but he comes up with all of that stuff. Oh, okay. Is a set of, I think it's revolution is the word that it's based on in Italy. And I think it was, I, I better let Dennis give the, the detailed <laughs> answer. To that. But, but that, that, that kind of helps. Cause that's what I was, I knew the brand, the, the Revolta brand was connected yeah. And I just wasn't sure, you know what I mean, how it all worked. I, I I just got the impression that exactly what you said. It's a licensing type deal, right? You're you're we're, we're we're partners in a business. Dennis and I are partners in the Revolta brand, and uh, that's that's how that particular relationship worked. Backland, on the other hand, was I licensed the designs from John Backland. I don't know if you're familiar with any of the Backland guitars, but right. crazy kind of 1950s future guitars. Um, and then we, we've done some with Jeff Sen, who's also out of Nashville. So there's, it, each relationship is different. And each brand, I guess what you're kind of wondering is that the brands and, you know, are they licensed? Are they own? Do we own them? Yeah. Under the Eastwood umbrella, we, we so we own, for example, uh, Sidejack trademarks, classics. Airline is, is one of the bigger brands. And then I co-own Revolta with Dennis. Okay. Um, and then we've got um, another large selling line is uh, Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis is a multi-instrumentalist, plays with Nick Cave, and he's he's known throughout the industry for a bunch of different things. But uh, we make it. We started making a series of tenor guitars with him. That's going back almost ten years. Yeah, it's probably ten years. But now there's. 20 different models in that family, right? Mando casters, mandolas, tenors, baritones, mando cellos, bass guitars, like, and they're all the Warren Ellis brand. Right. So that's just another, another arrangement I have with Warren. So I pay him a licensing fee and he gives me all kinds of input on the design. So it's just, a, it's, it's a great relationship. The Revolta brand, um, you know, I do these questions every week and, you know, I interact like you guys, I interact with the community as much as I can. Yeah. And they, it was definitely the number one requested thing. I think that's when we were talking uh, yeah. via email. It's the, by far, it's the most requested brand of guitars by viewers that they want to see more about. 
Yeah. Um, which, so when you, when you, I'm just tying that into when you mentioned earlier, it was one of your premium, you know, performing brands right now, that would make sense because it seems like that, that's a lot of people are buying them. It makes a lot of people curious about them. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's also that it's kind of brings Eastwood closer to the Fender Gibson crowd. Whereas, you know, a, a guitar with a whammy bar, five pickups and 37 knobs on it doesn't get us there. Where Revolta has got, well, that's a beautiful guitar. Oh, it, it's designed by Dennis Fano. I know him. So that, that whole, uh, that's, that's why it's working. That's probably why you're hearing a lot about them because they're, and they're professional grade guitars. And the, the reason why that one works so well too, is a lot of us, myself included, and people around us would love to spend $4,000 on a Novo guitar hand built by Dennis, but that's, a, that's a lot of money. So yeah. for a thousand dollars, I can get something that he's designed and get enjoyment out of it while I'm saving up for the $4,000 Novo version. Well, you know, what's funny is, I also, I think, obviously, there's two plays. There's always, the, the play that we all understand is like the Epiphone play. I'm going to make an affordable version of something that everybody kind of wants. Right. But now I find in, the, in this, this new world that we all live in where you buy it before you try it. Yeah. That's the new world we're in. You know what I mean? The days of us walking, like you said, the days of you going at a pawn shop and finding that, you know, that gym, uh, that's, that's a very outdated logic now because you can't go into a pawn shop now and find a gym because they go on eBay and reverb and they sell it off out the back door. You know what that's I mean? Right. Um, and it's, you know, I used to, I, when, when, when a friend would ask me like, Hey, I'm looking at this $10,000 custom guitar. What do you think? And I would always go, well, if you're going to spend $10,000, spend 700 bucks on an airline ticket and 200 bucks on a hotel and go visit the factory. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, before I would make my guess <laughs> about how it feels, yeah. you know I mean, why don't you go try one? And, and the great thing about that is really what I see when I see this kind of they're like the Revolta guitars is it's not even for someone who can't or isn't going to spend the $4,000 it's if somebody's thinking about four thousand dollars it's a lot more comfortable to spend a thousand dollars have a nice guitar and then you know do in your head the math you know like okay this is how good it is if it's mass produced in korea right we know it's good yeah so you know okay then i expect obviously for more money it's going to be a little better most cases not uh it's 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 usually just more unique i always tell people i remind people that yeah. custom is about unique you're the only one that has and it. nitro finishes and sure of course Scales on like mastery bridges and the kind of things that the price point of an import guitar you you can't put that in you can't build that into it so it could be an aftermarket thing but those are the kind of things i look for when i'm looking for a custom built you know four thousand dollar and up guitar and and so the the point the point on that is, I think uh, not only is it helping by putting a guitar that's really expensive in more players' hands, it also allows more players to want the more exp premium guitar. Right. Because now think, you know th that's just the math. I think PRS did a great job with the whole SE thing. I mean that what you just described they they've kind of they did a perfect job of that. And, yes. And and. You know, for for the for the for the PRE fan base, it just broadened the fan base um, exponentially by doing that. It took a, I remember being in Japan, um, I don't know, eight ten years ago, and walking into a guitar store there, and there was a sea of SE guitars like <laughs> stacked up. I don't know if you've ever been over there, but some of the guitar shops just they're and they're all on stands on the floor, right? Like 
16 deep. I don't know how you even get to the one that is at the back. But, uh, yeah, and I remember looking at it going, geez, there's a lot of inventory here. I don't know how they're ever going to sell through this SE stuff, but it's it's come a long way, and it's really – they've done a, done a good job of it. It's – it is – what's – there's this argument only the internet creates. <laughs> so that's, that's, there's only a few things that are like this. There's an argument that only the internet creates. Only the internet is hyper focused for some reason on pricing levels and the logic of that. Yeah. You know I, mean? I, I always kind of my joke is like when I'm hanging out, talking with my friends at a bar, watching a band, talking about guitars, we don't talk about. The no. inexpenses, yeah, it's, you just talk about your love of guitars. Yeah, it's either cool or it isn't. <laughs> it's exactly. It's not. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, right, isn't that funny? To me, yeah. uh, um, I don't look at like a, a silver tone or a Dame Electro, you know, uh, hollow guitar and go, oh, it's a, it's a junkie guitar. I go, oh, I like it for this sound. Yeah. And then I like my Strat for this sound, right? And, and then for some reason, when we all get on the internet, then it becomes like, well, two ninety nine is more, you know, this is this quality guitar, and five hundred dollars is this. It's it's weird how this internet always brings that conversation into play. I think that's because people get armed with just just enough information on the internet that they're all become we all become experts. Of course, and I, I just I I always get infuriated by um, which I saw a thread on this last week I think where somebody says, well. If, if all guitars are made by CNC machines now, then why does it matter? And I think some people believe that you put a block of wood on a CNC machine, go get a coffee and come back and voila, there's a guitar there. But, but that's only 10% of the work, the CNC machine. 90%, the amount of hand sanding, no matter where you are, China, Korea, Los Angeles, anywhere, you were all hand sanding these guitars. That's, and then finishing. And then there's a lot of handwork that goes into making a, making a guitar and it's an educational thing. I mean, we were all learning so much more because of the internet people make a comment and then it explodes into something else. It's uh, we're all, we're all eventually wiser. Hopefully. I, I agree. What's, what's great about what you said is um, the, the thing about quality for me is, is really about obviously the skill set to do it, but also the person at the end that decides what's the consumer going to see. Yes. Uh, and uh, I always use uh, c certain brands for no particular reason, you know, just because I've seen things. One of the brands that I like to use is Schecter because it's so widely seen by so many players, right? Mm -hmm. And Guitar Centers is a brand that we're all, all have put our hands on at this point. Yeah. They're a brand to me that has executed quality assurance. Yeah. And the idea of not that they can make the best guitars, because we know they're just made in the same factories, right? We, that's what that's what that comment always is rooted in. Is like, yeah. if they're made in the same factories, they're the same guitars. And I'm like, yeah. but they're not because what Schechter, and again, has done, in my opinion, is they've shown that they can re hold back defective inventory from getting to the public. Yeah. And and that that's back to what you you do at Eastwood. Eastwood is another company where, you know, um, you make guitars at Mir, but you still are the filtering process. Yeah. And and that's what I think people don't understand. Um, uh, so actually, that's a good segue into that. Um, how do you guys 
do you guys do you guys personally set up the guitars? Do you inspect them, anything like that, or do you uh, do you just track how much defective merchandise you? How do you ensure your quality insurance? Space? So, so one of the advantages of um, selling direct to consumer, uh, for the most part, is our own employees are the last touch before it lands in your lap. So it doesn't go from our our warehouse in Chicago and the guitar tech sets it up and then ships it to a, a shelf on Amazon in Mississauga, Ontario, where it sits for three months. And then they ship it, the SKU, you know, to you. Out, we physically set that guitar up, our own guitar tech set it up and ship it direct to the consumer. So that, that uh, you know, and then in the case of Revolta, for example, we just decided all of those want to be set up and shipped for Nashville. Yes, we have distribution in, in Europe, but we're not going to ship it from here to Europe and then from Europe to you. We're going to ship to Dennis and his crew in Nashville. And then if you buy a guitar in Europe, you're getting it from Dennis and Nashville and his crew to Europe. So each brand has its own kind of um, game plan uh, for distribution and QA, but it's all pretty much the same level of QA. It's our own. We don't, we don't have any subcontract anything other than the factory itself. Right. We handle sales, marketing, distribution, all the way down the line. And we do have some dealers, some really, really good dealers, but they're they're kind of like-minded people like us. Um, so they, they have a passion for weird guitars, and that's why they decided to be a dealer. But one thing I, I just wanted to touch on this point, if, I don't know if you have enough time to fit this in there, but it's it's a question we get off asked so much is, how come your guitars aren't in every guitar shop? And it's a huge question, but it's a real simple answer. We've got 250 different SKUs. Yes. So if you're a Fender dealer, you might have 200 Fender guitars in your store, but you know a third of them are Strats and the third of them are Tellys and etc. So in that store, you've got you know 200 Fenders and 200 Gibsons, and then you got maybe 20 hooks hooks left over for everybody else once Schecter and everybody else is taken care of. So there's no way that anybody could represent Eastwood in their store because by the time they're done with everything, we might get six, six to yeah. ten hooks. So if you wanted to do just Revolta, that works. We have a lot of dealers that do just Revolta. And then we have some dealers that do just Airline and just Warren Ellis if they're into the kind of the, you know, the guitars, four string tenors and things like that. But for the most part, Somebody will say, hey, Mike, where can I see a, a, a surf green, like that map baritone? Where can I see a surf green map baritone in Mesa, Arizona? You can't. Right. <laughs> you just can't. So the only way to get it is to buy direct. And the good news is the guitar is going to get set up by our techs, shipped to you, and then you've got 45 days to make any decision you want with that guitar and send it back at our expense for, I don't even care what the reason is. And that's the only way to do business this way. You have to have, you know, you try it. Personally, I would prefer to try a guitar through my pedals, my amps in my home, rather than walk into guitar center with 12 other guys blaring away on guitars and try to make a decision on buying a guitar. So we try to make it as comfortable as possible and risk-free as possible to try out any of, the, any of our guitars. I know that was a little bit off subject, but it's it's a big thing for us is how do you deal with dealers and 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 the distribution? And the only way to do it is direct sales. Well, it's great that you comment on that because 
I've been to one of the, one of the things I get to do, which is an exciting part of this kind of world I live in. I've now been to 33 different factories around the world. Wow. Like you've been. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I tell everybody, it's like, imagine if you will, I've now interviewed 33 women that a guy dated. <laughs> I, I start, le- you start, yeah, you start learning, you know, how things, what things everyone does the same, what things people do differently. And one thing that I've learned from this and the reason I visit factories whenever I can is because my, my saying is if you want to know how good the restaurant is go in the kitchen. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think, and that's why I want to point this out. So many people, so many players think that quality assurance, the way it's done, is standardized throughout the industry. It's not. Some manufacturers don't ever see their guitars, yeah. ever. They, they, they have it sourced somewhere else. It goes to a warehouse, and then it goes to either a dealer or consumer that they've never even physically, an employee that you sign a check to, ever saw that guitar. Some factories, or some manufacturers uh, that have, especially import guitars, inspect like they have a system where it's like we check one in every 10 guitars and if those are fine then we ship and if they're not fine then we go to one in every five guitars (laughs) if those aren't fine then we have to unbox them all you know what i mean and so that's why i was kind of hitting it home with what you're saying about your your point that it's really important is your employees touch the guitar last make sure it's right and then ship it out and in the Revolta case, you know, it's obviously going to the Fano guys, um, which is imp- which is not only impressive but important to what I was saying earlier. To that, the call, the your job is to not only find the best factory to do the best work, yeah, but also ensure that the best work is what the consumer sees. And the saying I love is the customer should never be the quality assurance department. True. The, yeah. So, so that's why I, I, no, I totally understand what you're saying. And I, I actually, look, we all hate that we can't touch things first. <laughs> like I said, we want to live in a world where, you know, you go in a store and you pick up that guitar and you fall in love with it. And one thing that people aren't paying attention to anymore is, and again, this is what 13 years of owning my own retail business taught me um, as a dealer. Exactly what you said. I was a PRS dealer. One of the hard things about being just a PRS deal, much less Fender Custom Shop and all the other brands and Gibson and all that stuff we did, so many SKUs. I mean, just in the Custom 24, he had two different neck versions, so three, two different switch versions, yeah. eight different colors. And when you start figuring out the variables, if you bought 20 of them, you only had 15% of the SKU. Yeah. yeah. So what you had is an 85% chance to have the wrong SKU when the customer walked yeah. in the door. <laughs> right, uh, which you know is a very painful thing when a customer comes in with that wad of cash in hand. Yeah, and you've got those inventory that you've paid for. Yeah, you don't want them to leave with the cash. You don't want them to leave with the cash. And so the joke I, I use is I call it Red Huffy Bike. Uh, eventually, you know, we want every color of bicycle at the store, but slowly you start going there, and you realize like now there's only three colors and three models, right? Yeah. And so when people talk about or guitar players talk about, oh, I still want to go to the store and touch it. I'm like, so do I. But when I go to the store now, I see eight different guitars total. Yeah. In two different co- There's no selection because. Yeah. And, 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 and there's only a couple of brands that dominate 90% of the hooks. Absolutely. So there's, Absolutely. there's no room left for the other guys. I mean, there's lots of great little uh, boutique um, guitar dealers still. Sure. Um, through, throughout North America and Europe. Uh, and, and a lot of them kind of carry the custom amps, boutique amps, boutique pedals, 
and then a few of the boutique uh, guitar lines. That's why Revolta does really well through dealers because they we can put a dozen Revoltas in one store, and that's a that's a really good representation of the brand. Yeah. Uh, but to try to put all of Eastwood in there, never going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, um, so, so, okay. So let's segue into this. I have another question that I, I'm actually excited about. This is the question I'm excited about. So it says, um, obviously you've done a lot of, of crazy, like 50s, 60s and 70s era guitars. Yeah. Um, and so now as guitar players are aging, right? Cause that's what's happening. You know, yeah. the, the, now the younger guitar players are now the middle-aged guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> right we're just all kind of we're all sliding as, as, as it goes um th there's a lot of quirky 80s and 90s era guitars and you and you do have some 80s stuff you have the, the uh you know devo right you've done some yeah, cool guitars opportunistic things we did there yeah but but like that like the surfcaster i mean that was really a late 80s 90s original i think yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah. we did the uh we did the ovation ultra gp which right. was a very very specialized little queen of the stone age guitar that we we've still kept it in the catalog for some, but that's, that's a, I think an eighties guitar, but yeah, to, I understand exactly what your question is. And the answer is yes. As, as we get older, we start, I'm already starting to see more requests for guitars that were built in seventies and eighties and, and even the nineties a little bit that we're starting to consider bringing under the, under the under the wings of Eastwood, when the opportunity um, suggests that it's the time to do it, the, the 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 weird thing was so I think back in the '60s there was a a mat when Japan first started building guitars in the '60s. That's when this massive inflow of really weird guitars kind of came in in, in a tsunami of of right. guitars into Sears and uh, what were the other catalogs? Montgomery Wards. Montgomery Ward. Yeah. Same thing was going on over in Europe too. They had Woolworths or whoever was selling those. <laughs> and in Canada, we had slightly different branded names and you were getting down in the U.S., but there was the same guitar from the same factory. That that in the 70s and the 70s and 80s tended to be more people focusing on trying to copy Fender and Gibson. Right. Um, as we saw, you know, you can remember all of those 70s and 80s Les Paul copies with oh, yeah, like absolutely. Bernie. And there's all kinds of. Yeah, a lot of Japanese know, stuff was coming. They were better than the American guitars. So there was kind of a lull where there's not a lot of stuff to choose from in terms of where Eastwood is going and what other 70s, 80s, 90s models we might look into. But I, I'll never say no unless it's a unless it's a trademark issue. Um, and I used to say no just because I didn't think there was available market for it. But now with the with the custom shop, it's not up to me to decide. It's up for the market to decide whether it's a good idea or not. So, you know, that, that ball will just keep rolling along. I mean, who knows what we're going to be doing 10 years from now. Yeah, it's just because, like I said, like you said perfectly, there's there's just guitars that they just had a moment in time. You know? yeah. <laughs> and sadly enough, we learn now, I'm sure you guys learned it better than anyone else. There are some guitars that they had a moment in time and it wasn't the guitar's fault. It was that it was just the wrong moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, yeah. if any other time frame, it, it would probably took off. It just happened to be, you know what I mean? The wrong thing at the wrong time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but, and you know, I, I could wake up tomorrow and there'll be some suggestion that I, I had not considered at all. And six, eight months from now, it might become our top seller. And it's happened in the past. In, in fact, recently we did, um, 
Peter Hook, who is a bass player from New Order, Joy Division. Uh, maybe a lot of your fan base not know those bands or don't know the history with New Order and Peter Hook, but he used to play the six-string Shergold bass that was made out of the UK. It was very rare, and it was just a strange beast. But on those early records, that instrument was, you know, he had they had hits, probably one of the number one dance songs of all time was called Blue Monday. And everybody, if you don't know it by name, you would know it to hear it. And his right. six-string Shergold is all over that thing. Well, somebody said, you guys should make a replica of that. So we looked into it. We, the, the bridge was, a, you had to completely redesign the bridge because the string spacing was important. You can't right. be like a Fender Bass 6. But we went to all the trouble of doing that. And the reason we did is because you just get out on the Internet and you look, wait a minute, New Order and, and, and Joy Division, they have like 500,000 followers on Facebook. And all we have to do is press a button and tell them we're doing this instrument. <laughs> and, and it just a flood of people came in and, and pre-ordered them. Like it was, it was, uh, it was remarkable. And who would have ever thought a year ago that that, that would become a product. And well, and that's why I said, that's why I was saying everyone needs to check out the website. Um, <laughs> the only thing missing on your website. So maybe it's out there somewhere else. There's no archive. Yeah, I know that's a that's a big can of worms. The good news is, which kind of is another segue to come back and answer, where's the archive? Um, through this whole you know COVID thing and just the market is just things have gone crazy. Sure, we're we're actually hiring, which which is kind of um, a breath of fresh air to a lot of people in the industry. Um, and we've got a, a a list of things that needs to get done. Generating the archive is one of them. That's slowly creeping up to the top. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much work that needs to be done. And uh, the, 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 the COVID shutdown and all the fear and uncertainty, and then the market started taking off in terms of guitar market. So yep. rather than having to, you know, furlough people or lay them off or take money from the government to help support the business, we didn't do any of that. And we were actually hiring and growing. Like it's, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah, I'm 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 pleased with it. I mean, it's just it's just nice the way the, the fact that we set up to be direct. I mean, this whole COVID and this you can, might want to cut all this because it's too much business related chit chat. No, no, business stuff is great. Oh, good. So, so you know, what's happened? There's been this digital re revolution in the last twelve months where everybody's going, "Oh my goodness, nobody's going to come into my store anymore. What am I going to do?" And it's not just guitars; it's everything you possibly think of. It's direct to consumer. From day one, we built our business direct to consumer. So this has been nothing to us. It, it, it's actually helped us catapult into, into a much higher um, growth plan than we had previously kind of uh, set forth. And fortunately for us, like it's been 20, almost 20 years now, and we've never, never, had, um, never had an employee leave because they – didn't want to work at Eastwood anymore. So we've, we've got people here who've been working here since day one. I, I'm, I've been working here since day one, obviously. <laughs> but some of the guys we've hired along the way that are now running all of our digital assets, running all of our marketing department, running, I've, I've been there since, since close to day one. And it's, um, we thought that was going to implode somewhat when we all got the COVID news. But, uh, the opposite happened. And I just, I just pleased as punch that it's, uh, I'm not pleased as punch that I'm sitting up here in snowbound Toronto where I could be down golfing in Arizona. 
Yes. <laughs> but that, you know, that's the, that's the only bad news. But the rest of it's been, uh, been great. Yeah, it's, it's no one in a million years could have predicted this is how, how it would all go. You know, no. what I mean? just a literally, literally, it was like the March, mid April dip. It just everything starts just plummeting. Yeah. And then we all like almost like falling down a ro roller coaster. You grab the bar and you go, okay, where's this going to take me? And then literally like a roller coaster just shot right back up. And um, it's been. Uh, it's a, you know it's the saying would be it's a blessing and a curse because uh, yeah. although it's nice to see the demand up it's been problematic for most of the companies I've talked to it's been problematic getting inventory in keeping it's inventory a huge issue our 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 delivery dates have pushed back three four five months all of a sudden yeah plus we're gonna prop my my guess is we're gonna see a flood of used instruments in the market prop I'm not sure as early as August September. Like Reverb will probably be the busiest place on the planet next fall. I, just, I'm guessing that, but I'm guessing too. I agree. I uh, I um, I did a podcast that you know I guess for a podcast went viral because uh, of the clickbait, which was I said exactly what you said. I think there's going to be a huge amount of used product, and we know when it's going to happen. Once yeah. the front doors of the homes open and everybody go outside again, yeah. We're going to see people – I don't think it's going to be people giving up on the guitar. I, I, I think there will be that. Of course, there's always that. But I think, you know, yeah, everybody maybe bought a little too much, you know, a yeah. little, little over-purchasing on the, on, the, on the computer. Outside, get a breath of fresh air. They're going to turn back inside and go, well, do I really need these 15 guitars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I don't think it's going to be horrible. But yeah, it is definitely it's it would be not logical to think that that's not coming. And yeah. by the way, that that and maybe this is a great uh, thing to talk about. That's another thing that you guys provide a service that maybe you don't realize or maybe you do. You know, reissue guitars. One of my pet peeves uh, with vintage guitars, like anything vintage, is how out of control the pricing gets on it. Yeah. Okay? yeah. But my pet peeve in our industry is look, I understand why a '65 Mustang is a lot of money because you can't just go make one. Yeah. <laughs> but when I see a, a 65 Strat going for sixteen to $20,000, I'm like, you know, they can just make that. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can make it exactly like that in every way. And, yeah. um, and I really believe this. I've been asked this, uh, you know, uh, I, through the podcast communications a lot, you know, what do I think of reissue guitars? And I go, I think they keep things at bay. I think they, you know, because what drives those prices is, Somebody with money <laughs> makes a decision to buy something they want. Yeah. Nothing, nothing wrong with that decision. It's their money. Do what they want. But as they buy vintage gear, they now set standard pricing for that gear. Yeah. And I, I think there are people that just want to own a piece of nostalgia. Sure. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. We all love that, right? Yeah. They want to own the guitar that they wanted when they were in high school or whatever the issue is that they want. But then there are some players that just want to experience that guitar and they don't really don't care if it's, you know, and to be honest with you, as you know, cause I'm sure, especially probably more than anyone is touching all those vintage guitars. Most of them are not that great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mo you know, everybody romanticizes that stuff, but no. you know, I wear a pair of guitars every day. Most of the stuff that comes in that people buy like that and bring to me, it's just three days of nightmare work to get yeah. it playable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love uh, this, the concept of the tribute guitars, reissue guitars, 
because of the fact that it gives people a a realistic thing to purchase. Yeah. And because you can let guys or guitar players do that, they're not as prone now to surge up those vintage pricing. Yeah. And so so I say that because I think you companies like you guys are actually helping keep our used market under what I feel is control because sometimes I I you know, it's it's really crazy when you watch a guitar go for 7 grand that the company still makes just because it's in a color. <laughs> right? You're like Yeah. Because they won't reissue the color. <laughs> yeah. you know I, mean? uh, I know, and it's uh, you know, they're all there's always going to be um, more money chasing fewer product when yeah. you, when you talk about fifties and sixties guitars, and because there there's just fewer of those bits and pieces around. But um, you know, buying a replica, which I I was going to say foolishly did, but I I do I make mistakes buying guitars every now and again. Me too. Um, and and I bought um, a reissue. Uh, Gibson Les Paul because it was a 59 reissue and I was born in 59. So it's one of those stupid things you think, well, I got to have that. I was born in 59. Right. And, you know, I love it. The minute I got it, I thought, why did I do that? <laughs> but, you know, you still have it. You still admire it. But do I pick it up and play it as much as any of the other stuff? No. I pick up and play stuff that I, that I want to use to get a job done. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I've, I've, I mean, I've I've probably well, I, I probably have at any given point in time two hundred guitars, at okay. least. But I think I can only count maybe three that I will never sell. And right. so, you have to be able to kind of catch and release to kind of keep new things and new ideas coming along. And I I like people that don't do or that do do catch catch and release because they come back and buy more guitars. Yes. So well, and and what's funny about that is. Um, Two things. One, the 59 Les Paul, don't feel bad. At least you didn't buy a real one. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I, I, I learned a little trick with 59 Les Pauls. If you don't know, I'll, I'll tell you. It's a funny thing. As I've traveled around the world uh, doing this YouTube gig, I've went into all these boutique music stores These that all have one. Yeah. I, I learned a trend. They all have one, right? Uh, Bizarre Guitar in Reno has one, right? Uh, Ultimate Guitar in Germany has one. Like every high-end vintage store has 159 Les Paul. They all want a quarter million dollars for it. Yeah. I've actually been able to play all of them because I, I guess because of YouTube status, they're just like, hey, you want to Instagram us? You know, sure. you're holding this guitar and you play it. And what I've learned is um they don't want to sell that guitar. Sure. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It, it's funny because like uh I even had I went in I, the last one I was in just to keep it kind of you know nice and not name the store uh i was with a, another buddy who was allowed to play the guitar and he's like can you believe this guitar and i said hey do me a favor tell him you want to buy it yeah and see what they say and he's like oh i crazy i can't afford this i go no 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 just tell him you want to buy it see what they say <laughs> so he did and yeah. they said oh yeah we'd have to call the owner um but i don't i don't know if he's gonna want to sell it yeah and he so he, he looks at me afterwards you know we're in the parking lot and he goes that's crazy. And I go, no, you know why they have them? I've decided this. This is just my opinion. They're to draw us in. True. It's the mystical unicorn of guitars. That yeah, they have. Yeah. Was it was it Clapton's Blackie sold? I think it was Guitar Center bought it for seven hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Then there was a crazy number. Right. I remember what happened. I remember thinking, that's insane. Why would you? And then you start saying, wait a minute. They could ship that around store after store after store, and they could tell everybody in the greater Houston area that. 
you know, yep. Friday, September 17th, Blackie will be here. Yeah. That was the best money they ever spent. Yep. It's, <laughs> it literally is, like I said, it's a mystical unicorn guitar yeah. that you, that you, uh, that they, they did. So like I said, I think uh, at least when you buy the reissue, that's my point. Now you bought the reissue, it's out of your system, right? It's totally out of my system. <laughs> and it's a fraction of the price yeah. of those, you know, and that's why I said it's, and we already know the logically what you would do, have done, which is what really happens. This is why I said the reissues are great. You wouldn't have bought $250,000, 59. What nope. you would do is the same person who would who wants a sixty-five Mustang. You'd buy the sixty-nine that you can pick up for twenty grand, right? Yeah. You would have you would have found the the you know another year that that's what I see players do all the time. They want a fifty-seven Strat, but they buy a seventy-three because they can buy a seventy-three for thirty-five hundred bucks. Because that was that's as close as they could get. It's because it's as close as they can get to the thing they want. They still don't have the thing they want. That's the irony. Yeah. That's why I said a reissue is great because the only argument in your head is is it. Is it? It's not the same one because it's not the same. But at least with a reissue guitar, a tribute guitar, you get to actually have an experience that is pretty close. And actually, in my opinion, it's funny because when they somebody says, "Well, the '59 reissue is not the same as the '59," I go, "No, it's the same as the day the person bought it in '59 in the music store." You know what I mean? New again. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful thing to look at. I mean, uh, but yeah. Yes, uh, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing. It's also interesting to see like guys like you are taking your your knowledge from owning guitar stores over the years and just creating a community and and finding subject matter that it. I mean, this is what we would do if I walked into your store. We would have some conversation like this, and yeah. it's great. It's better to actually document it and then throw it out there. And if anybody else wants to come along and tap into it, that's that's great. And it has some legs and it'll sit there and uh, be entertaining for for years to come so that's yeah, i like it thank you i it, it is fun it's a it's a cool thing um you know i'm not into sports but this is what sports fans get to do they get to talk about their teams and you know what i mean and, and what players got traded and what's going on in their world yeah. and you know what's funny is we we I, I we all do this because we love music yeah and we listen to music and we talk about music and then we like guitars because we're guitar players. But what's great is uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to talk to uh, creators like you that are creating guitars that create. Think of this. We thank you so much, Michael, because for an hour now, we've got to get into your head, <laughs> see how you, you know, how your company works, how you work, how your guitars work. Um, and let's, let's be honest. It's uh, it's, it's a lot cooler now. Could you imagine if we would have had interviews of Leo Fender like this? Yeah. You know I mean, it would be a much, it would be really cool to go back and see them now and see his thought process as he was creating, as he was going. Yeah. No, I, I know it's, it's, uh, and, and this is only, I mean, like we said at the onset, I'm, I'm looking at some videos that we created 18 years ago that are still on YouTube. I had a buddy of mine, Wendell Ferguson, who was, he was, he was a Canadian guitarist of the year seven years in a row. <laughs> like he's a player, but right. we we're doing these videos back in 19 or not 19, probably 2004, 2005, six, maybe. And, uh, they're great videos in terms of him playing, but you look at it and it was, it was like the resolution on the, on the image is so bad, but yeah, you know, it's kind of yeah. like original black and white movies from the 1920s. It's at least it's there. And there's uh, there's some context around it. Absolutely. 
That's and we know now. We didn't know then, but we do know now. All that was going to be important. Yeah. To the fact that essentially, like I said, this is your business model is the future. No, thanks. So, I hope you're right. But I, I keep hearing it from a lot of people that the, because of this direct consumer shift, this whole digital, that this is pushing everybody ten years ahead of where they, where we thought they were going to be. Yes. And for us, it just feels natural. There'll always be. I always, uh, I always attribute the what I call the not absolute zero. There is never going to be absolutely zero mom and pop stores, right? It's not about that. But let's be very clear. There's only going to be a few one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they have a need, but the need has decreased of what, why we need them. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and, 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 and again, I say that as not only someone now on the internet doing this, but also having a store for over a decade. You know what I mean? I have a reference of the two things. And yeah. the reality is people who have no idea what they need are going to need to walk in a store and talk to a person. Yeah. They'll never... No one, no one should hopefully be sorting through 500 YouTube videos to figure out what they need, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but players like us that are more tenured and experienced, we can look at stuff like this content and then figure out, you know what I mean? Like I said, it's a process elimination. They can, yeah. they can, they can watch a video about you, get a sense of who you are, yeah. and now figure out if, that, if your brands make sense for them. You know yeah. what I mean? That still surprises me to this day, and, and even more so just in the last 12 months, of how many people there are that have yet to take the leap of faith and buy a guitar online. It's still a big, big number of people that have never, never done that. And and it, it's this is kind of forcing us all to test that um, because we're locked down, we're in our homes, we're sitting in our basement with our garage band, and we're, we thought, hey, I, I need a new bass or a tenor. You could just get online, point and click, and within a couple of days, it's lying there on your front porch and hand-delivered. Once people get past the point that they, they see that that's a doable thing and it actually works quite well, we'll slowly convert more and more people that way. But in the meantime, there's still going to be a lot of guitar stores and mom-and-pop stores. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll, they'll be there. So, well, I, I say this is my comment to anyone who says, uh, they always say this, right? They go, I could never buy a guitar without touching it. I could never buy a guitar without... And, and I was, and, and, um, but that question always leads to the statement. How does someone buy a guitar online? You know what I mean? How do they, you know, how can they do that? Yeah. And my only response is this people find their wife online and their husband <laughs> online. Right. And they've been doing that now for decades. And that's somewhat of a, a bigger decision, you'd think. <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's basically what I'm getting at is, yeah. you know, if people can swipe left, swipe right. And yeah. then find a husband and wife. Uh, yeah. Buying a guitar is not so far fetched in my mind. <laughs> I mean, that, you've heard of, you've heard of Carvana, have you? This yes, yes, yes. You can get a car online delivered right to your driveway. Um, Absolutely, that's a lot more expensive than a guitar. So yes, yeah, and and their argument is good. It's uh, it's I hate to say it, their argument is uh, they'll give you seven days, like you. I'll give you forty five days. I'll give you time to enjoy the product and make a personal decision yeah. in your home you know what i mean not uh, you know not in the sales floor of a store there there are like i said we we know there's benefits to both situations but this is definitely i'd say it's the future it's not only the future it's just happening it's now it's yeah the now it is now. It, it, it's the now i think for us we just try to set the whole business up in the way of working with us the, the way we would want to to be treated ourselves i would like to 
think that I could order anything online, have it in my home, try it out, and if I don't like it, return it for whatever reason. It, it, assuming that the buyer is making enough of, a, of an educated, you've given them enough information to make a fairly sound decision. So the only reason they didn't like it is, well, you know, it just didn't feel right. And that's okay. Um, you know, because it's a small number of people that actually turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to return this. Most people go, especially with our stuff, because it's, it's out there. Most people go, wow, this is, exceeds my expectations. I was expecting a Sears guitar that's a little better than Sears, but this is way better than a, than a <laughs> Sears guitar. So I'm happy now and I'm going to keep it. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the gist of what most of the feedback is. You can go online and read all about, you know, customer exper experiences with us and, uh, it's it's that's the way the world's going. I think. I think yeah. it's going to continue down that road. So we'll end on this, okay? I want to ask you what you think on your current line, since we don't want to, because I want to. I'll show pictures when when they see this as they're watching right now. Um, what is your craziest guitar in your opinion that you currently make, and what is the guitar that you would suggest is the most practical you know what i mean so uh, what i'm asking you is uh, right now people are watching listen to this yeah. okay there's somebody who's now after this conversation going i'm interested in something seeing something crazy and maybe changing my vocabulary of strats and les pauls yeah. what guitar is that for them and what guitar is for the person who's like sorry buddy but i still like strats and les paul what do you have that's kind of normal <laughs> so <laughs> what would those two be that's tough because most of it I would recommend for the it's crazy out there stuff because compared to a Fender and Gibson, most of what we have is going to tip that over the edge. Um, so come back to that. But the, 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 the best way, if you are a more traditional guitar player and you're willing to take a risk of buying something online, I would go to the Revolta brand to start with for sure. And anything down that road is all between, you know, Rickenbacker, Fender, Gibson. It's all in that. It's, when you look at it, it'll be immediately familiar. Right. Um, so those are the kind of things that, that uh, actually, let me just, and this, like I just got this one last week. But that, that if you're a Gibson person, you'd like that. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. So basically it's a, yeah, you know, but it's set neck, um, you know, and $900. So it's, that's not going to upset any typical guitar player, right? No. Um, but if you get online and you want to find something with a tremolo and five pickups and you know volume and no volume and tone control for each of those five pickups, <laughs> we we have it. Uh, there's some there's some plenty of weird stuff. Um, but on this note, like I say, we're still hiring. I have a I have a job interview with somebody right now two thirty. Okay. What we're doing on a on a Zoom call, so uh, I got to run for that. But this has been fun. I I feel like we could do this for another hour and a half another day. Yeah, I well. Anytime you want to hop back on, we'll we'll do it. And talk yeah. about talk about some more guitars for sure. Cool. Yeah, we'll see what else is coming down the coming down the pipe. But yeah, Revolta, get your fan base after the Revolta. Sounds like they're already heading down that road, anyways. Absolutely. Thank right. you, Michael. Everyone, as you always know, I want to thank Michael, of course, for hanging out with us today, and as you guys hanging out with us. And until uh, the next time, so you're yeah. here. Thanks a lot, Phil. Enjoying your show. Thank you. All right.